Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. Thank you very much, Rachel, as always. I appreciate your great job of introducing us as we welcome you to another edition of In All Things, a podcast from the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, and we welcome you this day. Grateful to have you, whether you're on the treadmill or driving to work, whatever it might be. We're just so delighted that you've made the sacrifice of time to tune in to what God is doing in the EPC. We have a special guest today, a good friend of mine who is the senior pastor of First Presbyterian Church here in downtown Orlando, David Swanson. We're going to get to him in just a second. He's got um, a number of things that I think are going to be really encouraging for you, both in terms of the kind of things he and First Pres are involved in, particularly some books that he has been writing over the years, and some other encouragements that I think you're going to find really meaningful So you want to make sure you spread the word and get others to listen in, because I think today is going to be a special blessing for our audience. But I do want to remind you of some things in the EPC Common Life Together that we have coming up. I just came from spending some time recently with some of our church planting leadership from around the country. and But just as a reminder that church planting in the EPC, our hope is that every congregation become a parent, a patron, or a partner. In fact, we might unpack that a little bit with David in a little bit because I know first Orlando is being moved by the Spirit of God into that realm as well because that's really the cutting edge of where the kingdom of God is advancing, particularly in the United States, but it's been true for some time around the world. For example, the disciple-to-disciple movement in China or the church house movement, those things have been way out ahead of us and we're kind of in a lag to catch up, but the EPC is committed that perhaps the the most contextual way of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, fulfilling the Great Commission, is in planting churches. That's what our world outreach has been doing around the world, and we're paying particular attention to that here domestically. So probably more on that in a future episode of In All Things, but I just wanted to put that on your radar screen as something to pray for. And when you come to General Assembly this summer at Ward EPC Church in Michigan, one of the premier exegetes of culture and church, Ed Stetzer, is going to be there with a prolific uh, church planner in the Southern Baptist Church, a guy named Jimmy Scroggins. And they're going to be talking about how do you create an evangelistic culture in your church that can be replicated as a church planting uh, movement. And that's what the EPC really wants to be a part of. Okay, uh, enough of the commercial announcements. Uh, I told you ahead of time that I was excited to have in our studio today, David Swanson. And as I mentioned, David has been the pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Orlando. I'm going to say he's been there for 19 years? 18. 18 years. I was pretty close. close. Okay. He's married to his wife, Lee, and they have, I think, three kids, right? Two boys and a girl. Mm -hmm. Uh, David is uh, a great preacher. A little nervous because he's got me uh, preaching for him in the upcoming days. So I've got a high bar to live up to. But uh, he's got an amazing wife who herself is making huge contributions to the kingdom of God. Uh, Maybe we'll hear about that a little bit. He's becoming known as Lee Swanson's husband. She absolutely used to be the Reverend Dr. David Swanson. Now he's just 
Lee's husband. Lee's husband. That's right. So welcome, David. Great to have you here. Thank you, Dean. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's let's do that deep dive into your family a little bit first. You grew up in Dallas. How did you get called to the ministry? Tell us about your family. Just give us a little yeah. bit of context so we can understand sure. you. Grew up uh, Roman Catholic, United Methodist dad, Roman Catholic mom. You had to raise your kids Catholic, so 17 years in the Catholic Church, the whole nine yards. You were, a, were you an altar boy? I was an altar boy. Oh, you better believe it. Man. And uh, so, right. but my thing was, I always saw the priest up there and he was the one who seemed to know God. And then he'd turn around and tell us about it. So I wanted to be that guy. But, but when I realized you couldn't get married, that was kind of a deal breaker. So I'm 17, youth pastor from Holland. At 17, that tends to be a deal breaker. It does. It, it sure yeah, does. That's yeah. working to get something else that's going on in the 17 year Right. So uh, Murray Gossett, a longtime youth pastor at uh, Highland Park Prez, came. And he was playing pickup basketball. He said, hey, come do a Bible study. So I, um, I went, never been to one before, didn't really know what it was, but it just was like uh, someone turned the light on. I liken it to those, um, those videos maybe you'll see sometimes where a child that's born deaf gets a cochlear implant mm. and they hear their parents' voice for the first time. That was how it felt in that Bible. It's wow. like I heard the father's voice for the first time. Wow. And I was like, this is unbelievable. And so I became a voracious uh, reader of scripture and uh, Murray really kind of turned me around and planted me back in youth ministry. And then Peter Barnes was another mentor mm. who shepherded me through college. And really through the two of them, I knew pretty early on uh, that I was going to be in full-time Christian ministry. I just couldn't afford it. And yeah. so I Graduated college, worked in the computer business for a while, and then uh, Lee and I got married 34 years ago, and then went to Austin Seminary, and and then uh, from there to Chattanooga. So you married her 34 years ago. That means she was 15 at the yeah, time. Right. Wow. Yeah. That exactly. was legal in Texas. It so. was. She's my child bride. So, okay. All yeah. right. And it shows to this day. There you go. There you go. So so Lee is the uh, executive vice president at RTS Orlando here. So she basically runs the entire operational side of their campus, 400 students, and uh, is just doing uh, a great job. Unfortunately, she uh, ruptured her Achilles tendon about uh, a month ago. Chasing while, after you? No, we were in a pickleball tournament, and, oh my and we were winning, and um, and she went down. So anyway, oh, she's oh. Uh, she's laid up, but I uh, uh, she's still you know in there in there fighting hard. Three kids. John David is in the insurance business. He's married with two children, uh, two grandkids, uh, Callum and Charlotte. They're three and one. And then uh, my son Alex is uh, in the banking business. He is uh, 28. My daughter Kaylee's a nurse and she's 26. So, and they all have moved away and moved back. So I'm okay. just blessed to have uh, my family here all in Orlando. Yeah, you've got a grandchild here. Two. Two. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's, the it's, grands are grand. The grandparent club is a great club to be in. It is. It is. So. Praise God that they're here too. What a yeah, gift to you absolutely. guys. So um, uh, First Orlando is your third church, I believe, Correct. that you served as a full-time ordained pastor. And all three are now EPC churches. Mm -hmm. Give us a little bit of a trajectory from those three. Yeah, so I uh, started at Signal Mountain Presbyterian Church under Bill Dudley, was the associate for youth, and uh, loved that. And, you know, Bill was just such a, a wonderful mentoring kind of pastor and gave me experience in a variety of areas. After four years, I moved into a totally different call, which is a little unusual to take a new call in the same church, but I became the associate for uh, mentoring and discipleship. And so my DMIN thesis was on mentoring, and so I put that to work for four years and built a whole small group network, uh, much of which is still functioning there today. Then I went from there to Covenant Presbyterian in Fort Myers, which at the time was PCUSA. I left after five years, and they were kind of on the on the glide path into the EPC at that point. And then... Uh, and that's and now New Hope EPC in Fort Myers. Yep, thank right? you. 
and then came to First Pres in 2004 uh, with uh, three hurricanes within a month of each other. So two out of my first four Sundays were canceled because of hurricanes. Oh, my and, goodness. Uh, the, uh, I was wondering, where uh, where have you brought me, Lord? But uh, <laughs> it it uh, got better after that. So right. anyway. Who would think leaving Fort Myers and going to Orlando, you would have more hurricanes? More hurricanes. <laughs> like, I'm going inland here. That seems safer. Come on. So, but you me. were also following someone who's pretty legendary. I mean, Howard Eddington, mm. who is the longtime pastor at First Orlando. Uh, I mean, there's buildings on the campus named for his family members. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, follow. what's it like to follow someone of that stature? Well, I think, you know, always you want to honor uh, those who have preceded you and who are, you know, I just kind of felt like he had built the church. Uh, he was one of the uh, sort of the, the great um, uh, fathers of that church in that sense. And so I just wanted to build on what he'd done. So I didn't look at that as something that was threatening. I looked at that as an opportunity uh, for the church to continue to grow and to build on the structure that he had left. And when I got there, the the great part of that was that the cupboard was not bare. You had a a congregation that was uh, spiritually mature and understood the scriptures and had a sense of who they were. So that actually made it easier as did, as did Howard for that. Uh, you know, Howard was just marvelous. He'd, he'd send me a note about every, you know, once a quarter, I'd get a handwritten note telling me I was doing a great job and I knew that wasn't true. And, um, <laughs> but he would, he'd tell me that anyway. And so he was just a, a consummate encourager. And, uh, and so he was uh, a blessing to me for sure. Just kind of a, a bookmark for you and I to kind of put a pin in it and come back someday, not today, but someday, you know, thinking about Peter Barnes, thinking about Bill Dudley, thinking about the legacy of coming in, following uh, Howard, the, sure. the, the mentoring that you did, the program. And I've seen you do this at first prez. Like you've got an incredible staff and you've gotten uh, the fellows program. Uh, you're, you're, you're playing pickleball, notwithstanding you've really got a vision for mentoring. Mm. And I think that's something, honestly, in the EPC we're lacking. Mm. And so maybe we could come back someday and have a conversation to mine that a little bit. And we could kind of pick your brain about what would it look like for us to really think about mentoring across, because we're at this generational transition, right? And we need to be doubling down and investing in next-gen leaders. We're seeing that at the GA. Maybe we could talk about that someday. Yeah, I think that'd be a, a worthy subject. Well, let's talk about a couple of other worthy subjects. I, I don't know how you do this. This actually makes me mad at you, but you have been able to manage being a pastor, a father, uh, active, involved, downtown, uh, First Prize is hugely involved in the community, and yet somehow you've still written a bunch of books. I, that, that ticks me off, quite frankly. <laughs> the ones that I remember well, Everlasting Life was the one that I remember reading through thoroughly, just really helping people deal with grief in the afterlife mm. and that mm. transition. Is that kind of the the, the biggie that's gotten a lot of traction? That's the one that I think continues. You know, I, I probably wrote that on Bad With Dates. That's probably, you know, been five, six years ago, but it continues to be used. Um, it's taught in the pastoral care class at Gordon-Conwell Seminary mm. and has been for a number of years. And um, Where you and I are both graduates. Exactly. Right? Thank there you. you. And, okay. um, you know, that's that's gratifying, but we, we send it out three months after someone loses a loved one in our church, they get a copy of that book. Wow. And it, it just walks through you know, what happens in grief? How do you manage that? And then how do you help others who are in that stage and season of life? And there's some very practical things like here are things that are helpful to say. And then here are things that if you say this to a grieving person, that's not going to go over well. Right. And so I, I think there are some practical dynamics to it. And then the end of it, I start talking about kind of a theology of heaven and what does heaven look like and why does our hope in heaven impact our, our present reality? And why should that impact how we live and 
and experience the presence of the Lord today. So I think for all those reasons, that book has gotten some pretty good traction. Okay, so I'm going to just go with that one for one second. Sure. I'm just thinking if I'm an EPC pastor and I'm listening and I come from a church that doesn't have the kind of resources that First Pres has, but I'm still doing six or eight funerals a year, and mm. I, I, you know, you have to deal with grief, doesn't matter the size of your church. If they were to use Everlasting Life as a resource, like if they were to say, you know what, right. we're going we're gonna to give that out three months after uh, mm. every time something happens in our church, how would they get a hold of that book? You can do that in two ways. You can contact, email me at, you know, dswanson at fpco.org, or it's available on Amazon as well. And uh, so we kind of have a little small distribution center at church, and okay. we're set up to handle that. Or um, you can get it off of Amazon as well. Okay. That sounds like a great resource for people who might want to. And we use it. We teach it to our deacons and also to our student ministers. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. I just learned uh, last week that the guy who founded Stevens Ministers is at Green Tree Community EPC Church in uh, uh, St. Louis area. How about that? Yeah. I did, had no idea. One of the, your books that you wrote a few years ago, which has to do with the subject of identity, I think it's learning to be you. Correct. That was uh, a number of years ago, and yet I'm thinking, given where we are in this cultural moment, might be worthy of a reprise. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's something that, uh, as you said, we're we're a little uh, uh, we're a little busy right now. Uh, you alluded to some church planting activity, and so we're we're pretty deep into that and uh, some other things that are happening right now. But I would I would love to have the opportunity to re-release that because I do think when that came out eight or ten years ago, it was not exactly the same cultural setting that we find ourselves in today. But so uh, helpful, and that's really set up to be used in a in a small group study. Um, there are questions at the end of each chapter, and I think lends itself to an exploration of that subject: Who am I in Christ, and why does that make a difference? So, what age group? Like, could you do that with? Uh you know, 14-year-olds in a small group, or is this 18-year-olds, or what are your... I think it's probably more like 18 to 55. That's kind okay. of where, okay. where that would be your So helpful audience. for parents in oh, terms sure. of trying to form and shape their kids' identities and understanding their role in that. Completely. Okay, yeah. great. God, how many books do you have total? Like eight? No. I... 20? <laughs> no, just five. Just five. Just so, five, yeah. he says modestly. One of the other ones, and we're going to use this as a bridge into the next conversation, is the economy of God. Right. Uh, right. Tell us about that one. So the economy of God just looks at the whole dynamic of your money, your stuff, and your things, and what does the culture say we should do with that and, and why, and and then looking at what does God really reveal to us in Scripture about this whole notion of generosity, and that in Second Corinthians 8, when Paul is writing to the Macedonian church, he, he says, you know, I'm not going to command you to do this, but it is a, it is a test that I'll kind of compare this with your peers to see what is you know, what is your faith like? And I think, you know, I heard Tim Keller say, and this kind of blew me away. He said, I think it's a fair tool to say, if you, if you say that you're in Christ and yet you lack financial generosity, I think it's a fair question to say, how authentic is that relationship with Christ? Mm -hmm. And so what is that, what does that mean for us? And that book, dives into all that very deeply. So what are your thoughts on why that gets so prickly for people? Because, so for example, as a pastor for 35 years, if someone came in, I would say, so how is your devotional life? You know, how is your prayer life? You know, are you reading scripture? I, I would talk about some basic spiritual disciplines as almost kind of take the temperature of the room right. of how they're doing. But if I said, how about your generosity? All of a sudden the wall goes up and people feel like you've gone at, from preaching to meddling. Mm -hmm. Like, What's your thoughts on why that is a wall that people put up when it's clearly a measurement for someone's spiritual vitality? 
I absolutely believe it's because the it's the one thing culturally that no one ever talks about. It's the last bastion of our personal control mm. and the last thing that will ever yield to the Lord. Mm. And you can be in a small group and you'll hear people talk about their cancer and you'll hear people talk about their divorce and their struggles with various addictions and things, but you'll never hear them talk about their money, which then allows them to be disobedient because they lack any kind of accountability in that area. And so, you know, depending on what you read or the latest survey is, you know, only 6% of American Christians actually tithe at a 10% or more level to their local church. And so I really think it's just uh, that thing that we just have decided we're not going to talk about. So that's one of the reasons why, and we've talked about this at our uh, large church pastor gathering. I tell my congregation every year, this is how much I make. This is how much debt I have, and this is how much I give to the church. These are the checks I wrote, and uh, and this is how much I save. Did initially you get some pushback from that, like people saying, "Hold it, that's private information," or always bragging, or anything like that? Did did how did people receive that initially? Actually, they really appreciated it, and mm-hmm. they realized that I was putting my money where my mouth was, and. Okay. You know, I said, you know, if you want to sit here and, and haggle with me about how much I make, whether that's enough or that's too much, um, we can sit down and talk about that. But I don't look at that as privileged information because all of us have a terms of call sheet that got voted on when we arrived. And so if they want to go look at that, they right. can just march down to my finance office and see it. So I, I never really thought that was privileged information. I think they ought to know that, and they ought to know that their pastor is all in financially in supporting the church. Well, and ultimately, transparency breeds trust, right? Right. Like people feel like you're not hiding anything. You're being honest with us. So your church has had a history of incredible generosity. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you would write a book on some of those ideas, I don't know if that's gotten into the DNA or into the water of the organization, but you've had something here recently that has happened that is really cool. Uh, tell us yeah. a little bit about this whole cup of rice campaign and and what is coming from that because this is fascinating stuff it, this is just I, I i continue to just be um, i just marvel at really the miracle of god that that has unfolded in a in a such a beautiful beautiful way where god is acting before you actually know why he's acting that way and so i i preached a sermon and, and one of our core values is relentless generosity so we want to be generous in the midst of our church for our ministry for the building of the kingdom of god but also locally and globally we want to be investing in the kingdom and you're talking about not just finances but you're talking about time you're talking about using people's abilities and gifts all of it all of those things but i do think there's a little bit of a thing in the back of people's minds that says hey if i give a lot of time and talent i don't have to give my treasure okay and i'm sorry there's not a caveat for that in scripture that you know faithfulness means you're going to give your money right. and so i talk very specifically about what you're given financially and yeah your time and talent huge part of it. But if it's time and talent with no money, then you're being disobedient. So um, we, we do talk specifically about what are you investing in terms of your financial generosity. So I'm preaching a sermon on 2 Corinthians 8. It's the Macedonian church. Their extreme poverty wells up to rich generosity. And I show a generous giving video. If you're familiar with that uh, organization, they just try to foster generosity in churches across the country. And it was about a little uh, church in northeastern India, the Mus- people of Mizoram, Women there, before they make their evening meal, they take a cup of rice, and rice is the staple food product. They take a cup of rice, they set it aside, and then they make their meal. Well, at the end of the week, they take the rice they've collected, they pool it with all the other women in their village, and they take it to their local church, and the local church sells it to support their mission and ministry. And so that took on such power and spread among the Mm -hmm. women of this. I mean, it's arguably one of the poorest areas in the world. 
And last year alone, they raised 1.6 million U.S. dollars by setting aside a cup of rice for wow. dinner. Wow! So you know, so I preached the sermon, and I said, I think this is a modern Macedonian church. I think out of their poverty welled up rich generosity. And I said, I'm sorry. I think that First Presbyterian Church, I think we can do a cup of rice. If you've never given anything, you can put a dollar in a jar every day and bring me $30 at the end of the month. I think you can do that. And so without really realizing it, and one of the things I said too was the Macedonian Church pleaded with Paul, can we please be part of this offering? So after the first service, someone comes up to me and said, David, I'm, I'm pleading with you. I've talked to several people. I'm pleading with you. Can we give $250,000 to match uh, as a matching gift for f- any first time gift will be matched and anything over and above the regular gift be matched. I'm like, blows me away. So I'm like, yeah, answer is yes. 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 <laughs> uh, so I go into the second service and I go, Hey, you know, I told you in the first service, no one had ever pleaded with me before. Well, someone did. And here's this matching gift. And so the second service is over and long story short, before I leave church, the first two fifty has been matched and I've had someone come up and offer another two fifty. Oh my goodness! And so the the what was two fifty became five, and then it I didn't know what this to, is over and above your budget and over and above regular giving. And at this point, things. it's not designated for anything in particular. No, and I, that's why I told the congregation the next week. I said, "What's happened this week is crazy town. Like God is doing something because I didn't ask you to give to anything. I told you I didn't know what this was for, right, and, and we right. didn't. We just said it's a cup of rice, and we're going to put money in it, and then we're going to pray." So I gathered the elders that Wednesday night, and we just got on our knees and said, thank you, and mm. said, Lord, who are we that we should receive this gracious outpouring? And so then we prayed, started praying for discernment. How, how do you want this to be uh, to be used? And so then we had such gifts come in that week that the second 250 was matched, and so we had a million dollars. And then I had uh, another person come forward with, uh, it was not one person, but a group of people said, we'll do another 250 match. And I, uh, I can confidently say this morning that, that that has been matched. And so we're now at a million five in the cup of rice fund. And so yesterday I had a phone call from a friend of mine, Anjay Traconic, who runs the executive, he's the executive director of Covatus uh, that's based in Austria. And he has been working with the church in Europe for years to just bring spiritual unity and vitality in that church. And he, he just, he's originally from Poland and his brother is a Polish pastor and he's serving Ukrainian refugees on the border. Mm. And he said, David, they've, they've, uh, they've just run out of all their resources. And I said, Anjay, what, 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 what do you need? I'll, I'll, I'll try to do whatever it is that you need. What do you need? And he said, David, you know what we need? We need rice. We need rice. And he wasn't being metaphorical. He was actually. He had no, he had no idea. And I started to cry on the spot because I had been saying to the congregation, I don't know why you are pouring these funds out, but here's a pastor and he says, what, what we need is rice. Mm-hmm. And I wish you could have been in the sanctuary when I told the church that. It was, you know, my prayer had been through this that we would experience what the Macedonian church experienced in overflowing joy mm-hmm. because of their mm-hmm. generosity. And that's what swept through our body when wow. I told them that. So we released $100,000 of that fund immediately. That went electronically over to uh, Kovatis and to four Polish churches on the border uh, that are serving Ukrainian refugees. And we're going to earmark 
uh, some more dollars in their direction as well and to other Ukrainian relief agencies. So okay. that's the story. And, and it hasn't stopped yet. There's, there's money. I, I've already had emails this morning with, I'm sending in a cup of rice donation. And so that, that bucket will continue it, to fill. It creates momentum, right? That, that it people then want to be a part of what God is doing. Right. And, and that's the thing. And this is crazy. I've gotten letters from people who are in other churches in Orlando saying, Hey, I heard what you're doing. I, I want to be a part of it. I mm-hmm. don't want to miss out. You know, and that's the, that's just the way generosity spreads and works. So it's been a beautiful thing. So if you haven't talked to him yet, um, and for those of you who are listening who don't know this, our new executive director of World Outreach, Gabriel Deguia, is a member of First Presbyterian Church, is an elder, actually, yes, at First is. Presbyterian Church. And he has created a prospectus of four of our global partners who are right on the front lines dealing with refugees as well. So uh, you have a very close connection to just uh, go to one of your elders and yep. say, so uh, do you need a cup of rice? Because yeah. I'm and sure he would Gabriel no and Anjay have talked, and they are working to get the churches that Gabriel has been working with and the churches Anjay is working with to to now work together. And yeah. so that's going to be, uh, I hope, a, a really encouraging that's partnership. The, it's, I mean... In today's environment, we lose the significance of what it means to be Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's sort of a, a, a bygone word and an institutional word. And yet, at the very basis of the way we are formed and shaped and carry on the mission of God is this kind of connectional approach. So whether it's you connecting with Anjay or Gabriel beginning to connect with him, or even just this podcast now, and who knows what comes from it, right? right. Somebody listening to this podcast goes, I've got a cup of rice, you know, and mm. someone else's got it. You just never know how the spirit is going to catch fire on these things. Right. But it's those relationships and connections mm. that God uses. And um, uh, that's one of those times when I'm just so, there's a lot of bad things said about the church. But hearing stories like this renews my hope and confidence that God is not done with his bride yet. Well, and and I think what what I love is that God had us do something by faith uh, where we didn't know what it was for, but he had us give it because he knew what the need was going to be before we did. Right. And uh, that's when you stand back and go, wow, you know, God is at work. and, uh, And what a joy that we can be some tiny part of that. Now, there's two other things I want to touch on before sure. we wrap up today, and they're both a little bit personal for you, but I want to brag on you a little bit. Recently, the United Abolitionists and the Paving the Way Foundation have uh, put on the 11th Polaris Star Awards. Uh, happened in January, and you were named uh, the Faith Community Leader of the Year in, in partnership with the Samaritan Village for your work in First Orlando's work in helping to fight human trafficking. How has that become a passion for First Orlando or for you personally? Years ago when the Super Bowl was held in Miami, uh, we became very aware that whenever there's a major sporting event, the number of, of trafficking cases goes way up. And then even outside of that, Florida is the number three state in in America in terms of number of calls uh, coming in for help, women trying to want to be rescued from trafficking. And Central Florida is a, a uh, is at the top of that list. And so uh, I began to realize kind of what was going on. And there was a member of our church who was on the board of Samaritan Village. And Samaritan Village is very much a boots on the ground. They're in and around hotels on the streets where these women this are in Orlando. In Orlando. Okay. And, and they, for example, last year they got 400 calls asking for a rescue and help and they have mm. they own two houses and they have just 10 pause beds. for a second 400 100. calls yeah and they and they have two houses with 10 beds and so it we're just deplorably low in terms of our capacity and so 
I just started to get involved and there's a the location of the homes is confidential, but we had some of our small groups who went and, you know, we did a, we went to one, uh, one year and we decorated the house for Christmas and then went in and exchanged Christmas gifts with the women. And when you see these women, they're, they're just trying to piece their lives back together and they right. just have just have lost any sense of self or confidence or value in who they are. And it's just such a joy to see them start to recapture that. And uh, so the, the blessing of being at First Pres is, you know, we have uh, resources that are human capital and financial capital, and we can put those together and, and we can really start to help lift some people in our community. And, and the trafficking area is one that we've really focused on. And that's one of the byproducts of being a downtown church like mm-hmm. you're really immersed in the very center of the community and so you have the ability to touch into all of these areas of the great need that yeah. the community has very true um and probably more conversations for other stories on another day because you guys are involved in the homeless downtown mm-hmm. um, i know when the um pulse nightclub tragedy hit you guys were on the front line of mm-hmm. caring for people uh, who were hurting during that time uh, but you're also by the time this podcast drops you probably will have already done it but uh, you all have had the opportunity to preach at one of the historically uh, black churches in Orlando where a lot of the leadership is and the privilege of being able to preach at St. Mark's AME has got to be a huge gift and honor for you. It is. It's very humbling. And uh, years ago, we as a group of, uh, of community pastors said, you know what, knowing that there are going to be challenges that will face us in the future, we need to invest and be very intentional about building cross-cultural relationships. So we were Hispanic pastors, white pastors, African-American pastors, Filipino pastors, you know, Asian pastors, and, and we started meeting once a month. And those relationships really fostered deeper friendships. And so out of those friendships, when the George Floyd uh, killing took place and, and the social upheaval that was created around it, we already had relationships of trust. And so I, I attended a Black Lives Matter protest with my black pastor friends who invited me to go with them in support. And so that was not universally welcomed or loved by some of my white brethren, but that's okay. And so we did that. We took part in a prayer walk, and uh, I was honored and blessed to speak at that. And then there's several of my uh, friends in the African-American church who have, we've kind of done a pulpit swap where I go there and they come to First Pres, and that has been uh, a wonderful. So uh, uh, Pastor Terrence Gray at St. Mark and I have become friends and, and just really enjoy each other. Well, the last thing I wanted to do is we talked about this earlier about every congregation becoming a parent, patron, and partner in terms yes. of church planning being the front edge of what God is doing through the EPC and really the church in general. First Orlando is also really kind of digging into this deeply. So mm-hmm. could we end with just like what you guys are doing in terms of church planning and any encouragement you would give to those listening in sure. for why, whether it's jumping in with, you know, getting involved in, in trafficking issues, whether it's getting involved in some of the cross-cultural racial issues, or whether it's getting involved in something like church planning. These are all things that are, quite frankly, they're EPC things, and you guys right. are living those things out Tell us about what you guys are doing in church planning and any encouragement you would give to people for how they should get involved. Yes, yeah, so just being involved in your community for us, one of our, our core values is to love our city, uh, love the city well. And, and for me, that is the answer to how does the church continue to be winsome and attractive in her witness in the midst of a culture that is increasingly out of step with what the church believes and values. And our answer to that is we serve without expectation or condition that we're going to go into the community where the needs are and we can find common ground with anybody because we believe that homelessness needs to be eradicated. We believe that human trafficking, there are people who need to be served. So 
That's why First Pres is engaged in, in social issues, because we think that's uh, what allows people to understand that, you know what, the people in that red brick building down the block, they're not that weird. They're actually really helpful. I would love to come back someday and get your strategies for people who are listening in on how you help to move a congregation into, because that's kind of a hot button issue right now. Mm -hmm. There are people who are saying, oh, those are social issues, David. That's not the gospel. But Mm -hmm. you guys have figured out how those things in the gospel go hand in hand. You can't do one without the other. But there's a lot of people struggling with that right now. So we might want to come back and dig down Bring me back. I got got at least 30 minutes worth on that. Okay. But the church planting area is, you know, when, when your church becomes healthy, and it took us a little while, we went through some, uh, some valleys at First Press and had some debt to deal with and other things. But if, if your church is healthy, then healthy churches should reproduce. And that really is how you grow the kingdom. Church too often grows by redistribution. You're just redividing right. the pie, but the, the pie never gets any bigger. And so church planting grows by conversion. So we have been a, a patron where we have financially enabled uh, five plants in the last five years through city to city out of New York was our primary conduit and then supporting church planting in our presbytery. So we have been a financial supporter but just in the last uh, six months, our session has said we need to be uh, a parent. We are going to birth a minimum of three in the next five years. So we committed the necessary budget dollars to that. And we have one. Uh, we had our first uh, core team meeting yesterday for a plant on the west side of Orlando, which is really exciting. We've named the search committee to find the, uh, the first uh, planter. And then we've got a, a facility, actually, and some property that we're working on on the east side that will be our, our second plant. So that's... Uh, that is really exciting for us to think about how the church is going to grow and, and uh, as a result of those things. So the congregation's really jazzed about it. That's awesome. And I got to think that the energy that comes from whether it's the cup of rice or whether it's planting churches, it creates this sense that God is on the move at First Orlando and people want to be a part of that. It's been very humbling, and God has chosen to uh, reveal himself in some new ways, and our our, uh, our church is just very, very uh, joyful right now. Well, they're very blessed for, for 18 years to have you serve in the way you have, and you've been a huge gift to First Orlando, to the EPC, to uh, Orlando itself, to the Presbytery. I mean, just so deeply grateful. First Orlando, David, reminds me of this phrase that John Mark Comer uses. He says, the church ought to be a beautifully compelling alternative. Mm. And I think uh, First Orlando is a beautifully compelling alternative, and I hope and pray the Lord would continue to shower his blessings on you guys as you seek his kingdom. Thank you, Dean. I appreciate that Thanks so for much. your time here. Yeah. All right, my friends, let's close out as we always do. The Word of God is, um, well, it's mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. It goes forth and accomplishes the purposes for which it has been established. And it is the final good word. It is the benedictus that we end this time with every time. So let me remind you, my friends, of Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things, my friends, hold together, for he is the head of the body, the church. Until the next time, and in all things, this is Dean Weaver, the State Clerk of the EPC. God's grace to you. Thank you again for joining us on behalf of dean and the entire team we hope you will join us for our next episode of in all things 
For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.